Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. Okay, so we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about forgiveness. I thought, let's tackle before Thanksgiving, before our plans, our, our, our plans for the holidays and for Thanksgiving here at Dulles, let's, let's talk about something easy and simple, uh, something that we love to do, forgiving people who've deeply wounded us. Let's spend a few weeks on this. So uh, this, this used to be my favorite hoodie. That's a foreshadow of where this story's going to go. Uh, this is a hoodie I got in New England at a film festival um, many years ago when I was helping start the film festival. A lot of you know what that is, and a lot of you have been a part of that. And at this particular festival in New England, we were learning how to acquire films for the film festival, really you know, good, great films, and great connections happened. It was just it was such a win for me in the trip. And not only was this kind of sentimental for me that I got this at that festival, but it was the most comfortable, like casual hoodie I'd ever worn. And so it became my favorite hoodie. And one day I walked downstairs and Amy's wearing my favorite hoodie. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And she said, what do you mean? You just don't like to share things. And I said, that's not true. I do like to share things, but you shrink my sweatshirts and you splatter paint on my hats because that had happened a few times in our past. And then she got defensive and said she's never done that when we both knew she had. And she said, I got to go to work. And so six months later, I put on my favorite hoodie and the sleeves came up above my wrist about two inches, and it was short on my waist and super tight. And I went downstairs, and I was like, babe. And she said, why are you assuming I shrunk your hoodie? And I said, because I am. I'm assuming you did. And as Amy often does, when she is embarrassed or she has to own something or apologize, she makes it really quick before changing the subject. She said, well, I shrunk your hoodie, and I'm really sorry. And then she had to rush off to work. And then later, she sincerely apologized and told me she knew this was my favorite hoodie and that I had mentioned the possibility of her possibly shrinking it, and she felt really, really bad. And in that moment, I knew Amy thought she was facing the hardest part of this little saga in owning up to it. And I knew I was actually facing the hardest part by having to forgive her. I'm standing there thinking, oh my gosh, she's apologized, she's owned this, now I've got to forgive her for ruining my favorite hoodie, which I've saved all these years, it's still in my closet, even though it doesn't fit. So this is how forgiveness works, right? Something silly happens, something innocent, person apologizes, another person forgives, and then it becomes kind of a lighthearted, funny story. We, we wish. We wish that was the sum total of forgiveness or the journey that is often unforgiveness. So instead, today we're going to talk about, we're going to 
begin the consideration of the dark side of this subject. Not hoodies or the neighbor who forgot to invite you to the neighborhood cookout. We're going to talk about the deep hurts that sometimes are so deep we don't tell anybody else. I think part of the reason it's hard to talk about or we feel triggered in a moment and we close or we quietly excuse ourselves as we just don't think anyone will understand. There's no one that truly could relate to how deep my wound is or how deep your pain is. And if you think, well, Brad, well, this is nice. You're, you're a pastor. Your job is to encourage people. You've probably heard some bad stories, but I don't think you could possibly relate to what deep hurt can feel like. Um, just trust me when I say I think I can. <laughs> when I was 15 years old, a family member on my dad's side of the family deeply hurt him publicly, along with other family members. This was a family member who had a lot of internal struggles, to say the least. And when they were at their lowest points in life, they would often publicly diminish other people. And that included my grandparents, and included my dad. Uh, in one instance, this family member wrote a letter to the editor in the Winchester newspaper and just talked about how awful his family was. They would leave him out in the cold to sleep outside at night alone. And all I ever saw was my dad trying to care for this family member. And I saw the deep pain, and this was the first time as a 14-year-old, first time in my life I was introduced to the, the idea of a, a person being toxic. I've watched close friends of Amy deeply hurt her. I have been hurt by people who actually lead for God in, in a church. So we do know, and maybe we don't know exactly your pain or the hurt that you've gone through. But we, we are experienced in this this. this uh, sad and disappointing part of life. So I want to ask you, and this can be a painful question, I know that I'm really kind of going deep and heavy here quickly, but was it someone you trusted who mistreated you? Maybe who maligned you publicly or quietly? Maybe, maybe who said something to someone else about you that they never should have shared with another human being? Was it a friend? Maybe a family member, maybe a spouse who lied to you? Was it someone like that who betrayed you? Did someone who should have protected you or been a protector in your life end up manipulating, maybe not even you, but others about you? If you're human, you've been hurt by another human. This is part of the tragedy of planet Earth today. Since we, humans, tried to take control from God and we broke this world, we have been hurting one another ever since. And if you can't relate to being hurt, if you're sitting here thinking, I haven't been hurt, it's because you're very young and the rest of us have some bad news for you. 
And uh, <clears throat> we don't want you leaving with the only thing you've heard today, that the day's coming. And it's probably coming pretty soon, <laughs> where a human being is going to wound you. But sadly, that day's coming. Broken, flawed human beings hurt people. We say this often. This is kind of a mantra here that hurt people get pretty good at hurting people. So you are going to be mistreated. You are going to be hurt in this life. Multiple times. Every month. <laughs> I added that part just for a little bit of levity, but uh, it sometimes feels that way, doesn't it? First Peter chapter 3. Some remarkable statements are, here, uh, are, 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 are presented to us as a challenge here by one of the apostles who's talking to a young church, a young group of followers of Jesus. He says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And then shockingly, Peter says this in verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips, their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? It's somewhat rhetorical we see in the next verse. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone, to, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This idea of repaying evil with blessing. There were many years that I thought as a follower of Jesus, I do this. I don't repay evil with evil. And with one particular hurt that happened to me, not in the too distant past, this became the challenge of my life. And not that I would get in my car and go somewhere and do something public or in any kind of outward action, but just this was a battle in my mind and heart. The justice I wanted to see. The embarrassment that would have felt good, the embarrassment of someone else that would help level set and make the world right. And God's call is that we would repay evil and harm done to us with blessing. So let's go back to what blessing means. Blessing is nuanced, and throughout Scripture, we see that it can be a pronouncement of favor over someone. It can be an inference of something good that's going to come onto a household. At the core, at the root of what blessing meant in the Hebrew language, 
early in the Old Testament, blessing was a gift presented or offered to someone while kneeling. It was this gift that was so precious, not only was the precious, not, not, not only was the gift itself, the good that was going to be bestowed considered precious, but the moment was so significant for the person or the people or the town that the idea is we're going to stop and it's going to be this sacred moment of bestowing on you, presenting to you this good that will now cover you, that will now define you. That's what blessing meant. That's what blessing means. The idea of repaying evil with blessing is related to God's design for us, our calling. Finally, all of you be like-minded, Peter says, sympathetic, love one another. He gets to verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. Peter is going back to our original design. The original design for you and me was that we would image. We would be imagers of God. This is what humans were made to be. We were actually made to be co-creators of good and beauty. And Peter is calling us back to our design that even when mistreated, even when betrayed, you are to be a perpetuator of good. You are to be someone in this world, even if the people around you are communicating dark and harm, you are to be counter. You are to be the light and the good and the beauty that God always intended you to be. And if you're not careful, the harm done to you could be so hurtful and you could become so inward focused about the hurt that you actually allow it to dim the light that is in you. You actually allow the hurt or the betrayal or the mistreatment or what was said about you to actually hinder you from being the opposite. When you grow, when you mature, when you strengthen to actually respond to evil or ugly or harm being done to you with blessing, you are accepting God's call, God's design to be counter to everything, everything we see in this world. I've been so deeply focused for weeks now on addressing what's happening in Israel and in Gaza. I know some of you have been waiting. Is Bragg going to address this? And I have a little bit in our emails. And I'm not going to go into that path here today other than to just say in our world today, we are, we, everywhere we look, Elections, local elections, we're already a year away and we're holding our breath. Here we are in early November. I, I hear it in people's voices. We're, what our country is about to go through in the coming year. The division, the sides that we take. Now we're doing it with Israel and Palestinians. It's a culture. You can't even decide what news. I, the news channels on TV are confusing people because they seem to be voicing things that they shouldn't be on the political side they're often on. I mean, it's just, it's articles are being written about that. Because we are a take-a-side culture today. And when, particularly in that kind of culture, we run the risk of quickly seeing the person who hurts you as evil. And they, your mission in life to help God along 
is to enact justice. Not that you would do anything violent or anything public, but your ill will, your diminishing that person, the thoughts or the pictures that you allow to run through your mind about that individual is somehow in your mind, it's in your heart, it's helping create the truth that should be. Helping level set the wrong that was done. And here the words of Jesus through Peter are just upending us again in this world we live in. The paradigm that we think, we go to work on Monday morning and we race into a world that's just divided. Everything's two-sided. And we are supposed to bless the person on the other side? The worst kind of person, the person who's wounded and caused harm? You know, it's bad enough when the hurt is to you or to your spouse. When your child is hurt, if your child is bullied or mistreated or lied about, man, that is like next level stuff. I mean, there, when I will go to scripture, I will go on prayer walks when the hurt is to me. When the hurt has been to my girls, there are times where I will close the Bible and say, God, later. I don't want to hear what Peter has to say right now. Because I have some justice to do in my head and in my heart and in my imagining. But it's inevitable God will eventually, if you'll allow his words to penetrate your ears and your heart, those words are coming. This is not who I've designed you to be. And how ironic that the person who hurt you could still have so much control over you that you're now not allowed to be the light and the counter to decisions that person has made, to actions or behaviors of someone else. You are now acting like them or thinking or willing as they do. I mean, how twisted and messed up is that? Jesus' words here aren't about us becoming religious. Peter's not writing to the church here to say, hey, you just, you, you're followers of Jesus now. You need to be good people. He is trying to free us to be the people that planet Earth craves. People of hope. People of beauty in the face of ugly. Forgiveness begins when I include Jesus in my remembering. There's this thing, and we're going to get into this this month, um, in the next couple weeks. The, the question, don't I have to forget in order to truly forgive? And the answer to that is no. That's kind of a spoiler. We're going to get into, it's, it's actually impossible. And we see sins that, G, that, that God himself and, and Jesus have forgiven, where later context shows, well, they didn't actually forget that it happened. It's not like Jesus develops amnesia and it's just, I know everything, but I, this thing happened in the past. I just, I just can't, I don't see it. It didn't happen. We're going to define what that is, what, that, what, what that's about and where we get that concept. So in your remembering, forgiveness begins and you begin to be free to be the perpetuator of life. The reflection of God, the imager of God in this world, when you include him in your remembering. When you recall the hurt or the wound and you allow Jesus close to it. Because what we do with wounds and hurts is we distance. We repel. We withdraw. And we often do this with God. 
Look again at what Peter says in, in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Meaning God's remarkable good, this precious gift that he has for you, comes in the way of a calling. You're going to live life differently. You're actually going to be one of those people in this world, a world that's desperate for signs or indications that there can be good in people. And there can be mercy. And there can be love, even in the face of harm. Our world is searching up and down, left and right for that. And you're called to be that person. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Peter's saying, stop letting the hurt and the wound be your ruler. The word Lord means one who rules over. One who's ultimately in charge of your life. Peter's saying, if we're not careful, we can allow the way we were treated to actually rule us. Revere Christ as your Lord. Revere Christ as the one who rules your life. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered. And he didn't just suffer, he suffered for you. He suffered because of you. Talk about being mistreated. If there's ever a moment in history where the purity of what humanity was supposed to be and what you and I will be again someday was betrayed. If you ever think the betrayal was so deep and so hurtful, no one would ever be able to understand, Jesus understands. One of his inner circle betrayed him for money, for a bag of money. Jesus suffered for you and because of you and because of me. He took the place of what lurks deep within. And this is why remembering the hurt done to us and doing so including Jesus, allowing him close, allowing him to be part of the recall, a, a, a part of our remembering, it's so important that we include him. Because if you do that genuinely and you allow him close to the wound, you're going to discover something not just that God relates to the way you've been wounded, but because you have created wounds and you have created hurt. And this is why Jesus died. He didn't die for that enemy who wounded you. I mean, yes, he did. He did. But for what matters in your healing, he died for you because of the consequences that your selfishness and your need for control and sometimes your temper or your defensiveness with people, instead of radiating the beauty and remarkable creative good of our God, you have radiated something anti-creation. You've decreated. When we allow Jesus into our thoughts, when you and I recall the pain and hurt and anger of how we've been treated, maybe when triggered a couple times a year or maybe monthly, maybe every day, when you allow Jesus to be part of your thought, your hurt, your anger, the way we've all been treated, you immediately open your heart to empathy. Because when Jesus is close to your hurt, his spirit is also free to communicate to you the truth that you have needed forgiveness. You and I have caused hurt. 
Again, this is why Jesus died. Because humans are broken, and that includes you. It's okay to remember how you've been hurt. You don't have to erase it from your memory. And again, we'll get to that here in a couple weeks. What's key in your remembering is you allowing Jesus to be part of it so that as you recall how you've been treated, you're also able to recall from God's spirit the selfishness that is sometimes and often in you and me, the hurt that you and I have caused. When I remember my hurt to be true to myself and to be true to others, I must also recall my need for forgiveness. And I'm telling you, this is the beginning of freedom. This is the beginning of you and I walking in the blessing, as Peter calls it, the blessing of being called to image God as someone who is responding and speaking, communicating and modeling different than what we see every day in our world. It's what you're called to. And it's what you deeply crave more than anything else. We think we crave great retirements and enough income to know we can relax, career advancement. You know what you're deeply craving deep in your DNA, your spirit, your heart's DNA? You crave to image God, his creative beauty, being a replicator of life. And when you, when you choose not to forgive, when you choose to hold on to the pain, you are hindering God's calling on your life. You're actually allowing the person who hurt you to now do deeper damage. Which not only affects you living out your calling, but it affects the people that you're supposed to be speaking beauty to. So practically speaking, forgiveness is replacing ill will with goodwill. We can often think of forgiveness as a feeling, like, did I forgive? Have I? I think I did. Today I feel pretty good. This is getting to the tangible of forgiveness. Forgiveness is allowing God into the hurt that you feel, how you've been wounded, so much so that you also allow the reality to be able to recognize that you've also hurt people and wounded others. And see, this taps empathy. Now we can start to understand how someone, maybe because of something in their childhood, could grow up and be an adult to actually betray you or me the way they did. Now you can actually start to understand more sympathetically what it could be like to have a chaotic year or maybe an incredibly scary doctor's diagnosis that would lead them to communicate something so ugly to you. Because see, God's spirit is now free to communicate some of the same that you've done. So the tangible is, wow, am I now wishing good for the person rather than harm or embarrassment? That's forgiveness. Doesn't mean that you have to be best friends. It doesn't mean you write them a love letter and tell them, hey, I'd love to go on vacation with you sometime. Or, I mean, you know, I could be ridiculous about that. That's not what this means. That's not what for, sometimes forgiveness means having a very, very healthy boundary with someone who's toxic. God's spirit leads you to say, I can't ever allow you to harm my family like this again. But that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is... Replacing ill will with goodwill. 
And the root of this, the beginning of this, is empathy. Where you allow God's spirit to be honest enough with you to say, wait a minute, Brad. I've spoken ugly. I've been so remarkably defensive. You know, when Amy and I refer to our struggles in our early years of marriage and just how bad it got just between the two of us, some of you have heard us say this many, many times, and you're probably sick of hearing it, like, my gosh, thank God God healed them, and they have a good marriage now. We, we, we refer to it intentionally because it's, if you've ever been married, it can be one of the most, if not the most challenging experiences in life, not in just being mistreated sometimes, but in exposing how selfish you can be. Forgiveness is the gift of freedom for me, for you, to be the goodwill person Jesus imagined for our world, for your community. You may be the only person walking into your company or onto your floor or down your street in your neighborhood who has the potential this week, on Wednesday or Thursday, to speak life or to have a perspective that includes in your words in your heart and your view of the world, mercy or second chances. I went on a retreat with one of our, we're, we're partnered with North Point Church in Atlanta. Uh, and um, many of you know who Andy Stanley is. He's a very well-respected pastor. I went on one of our lead pastor retreats and Justin Elam was there. Justin is the head of the very large office at North Point that that liaises with all the lead pastors. There's about 100 of us in the country, and they have a, a staff of about 18 that serve all of us and help us with our, our partnership. And Justin Elam is the head of the office. He's, he's, he's the boss who reports to Andy. And I was at a retreat with him, and he was asking me how I've been doing after a, 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 a deep wound in my life related to church leadership. And uh, this was a, a number of years ago now. And this past summer, he was just asking me, how are you with this? He, he shared with me a deep wounding in his life by a church leader. And he introduced to me in this conversation Everett Worthington. Everett Worthington, from here, he's world-renowned as sort of the, the expert on forgiving or forgiveness. He is Professor Emeritus of Psychology at VCU in Richmond. And he's written so many articles and books on the topic of forgiveness. He's done research all over the world. And uh, I started looking into Everett Worthington and what he teaches and what he's discovered about forgiveness. Uh, and he tells the story that in so many marriage counseling sessions, he'd gotten maybe, maybe 100 or 200 sessions as part of his you know, young uh, resume. He began noticing... <laughs> That in every single case of married couples coming in to meet with him, that forgiving or not forgiving was a major issue in the couple. Uh, and one of his colleagues approached him one day, a colleague therapist, needing help and told Everett, uh, man, I'm in all of my focusing couples on hope and compassion, good communication, they all still leave hating each other. Just after every session, these couples, it's like nothing I say, nothing they read. And so they began working on this, like diving deep into this. And Everett came up with what he calls forgiveness intervention. And it's something that he teaches now, and he's really taught it around the world. 
Uh, <clears throat> and I want to get this just right, so I'm going to read from his, his story. Um, he would go in and approach the couple with this forgiveness intervention, and he would say something like, it sounds like there are quite a few things you're not able to forgive each other for. And the couple would immediately like, shake their head or you know, their body language, yes, absolutely, yes, you're right. So this week, he'd say, this week we're going to focus on the forgiveness that's needed in your marriage, and you're going to each make a list to talk about next week. And the couples, almost every time to a couple, we're very open and excited about this, like relieved that they're going to share their list of hurts with someone else in the room, a therapist, to hear their list. And uh, they were willing. They were willing to offer forgiveness to their spouse after going through the list out loud with a counselor in the room. But Everett would say, but what you're going to work on this week is a list of the many ways that you've hurt your husband or your wife. And you're going to spend all week working on the list Thinking, how else have I hurt them? How, what, what are the things that I've said that have caused damage in our relationship? And it's sort of comical the way he tells the story where immediately with every single couple, couple, it's just total silence. And they're staring at him like he's lost his mind and this is not what they were expecting. And he said couple after couple after couple who would do this walk in a week later with the list of their own hurts that they've created. The session would end with tears and this sweet, broken softness about how selfish they've each been to one another. So we could talk and go around the room here today. I could stand at the door and as every person leaves, just have you tell me your deepest wound. Who, tell me their name. Who did it? How did they betray you? What, did they, what was the lie about you? And we could probably be here all day, maybe all week. Instead, we're going to leave here today and just let me be your pastor here. I'm going to ask you to work on that list. Some of us have been every day, every week, thinking back, rehearsing over what that person did to us, what they did to you. Just how could they, how could they, with the trust that you had built, and you rehearse this, and it's just, it's this cycle that goes on and on and on. And God's Spirit, I believe, led you here today to be challenged to cycle through a different list. We're going to leave here today, and when we find some time alone, and I know it's football, and we've got lunch to get to, and there's lots, and a busy work week. But if you have any concern about growing in your faith, I'm going to be bold enough to say it that way, you'll find time. You'll find a few minutes in your living room or an office or maybe in your car. Maybe you'll go sit somewhere in a park and you will start working on the list that allows Jesus to really come close to your hurt. Because this list is acknowledging, it's opening you up to empathy. It's opening you up to examining your wounds and not forgetting how you've been treated, but with an eye on, and man, do I have the potential to wound others. This is the root. This is the beginning point of forgiveness. I've learned it myself. I've had to practice it. It hasn't been easy. But I refuse to allow hurts in my life over my year, years and extended family members and neighbors. 
I refuse to allow what people have done to me that I have no control over to diminish me from being God's calling for a world that is desperate for good and beauty and stories that are inspiring. And so I refuse. It's not going to be easy every day. I'm not going to pretend that pastor or no pastor, I've got this all figured out. I am going to allow Jesus, the healer of human hearts, to be close to me the way I've been mistreated, the way I have been wounded. I'm going to allow that same powerful God to do the work in me in understanding that I also can cause damage with my words, with my attitude. It's just the beginning point. We're going to dive into this a little more in the couple of weeks to come. I'm going to invite Anike to come pray our, our new November daily prayer that I'm going to encourage all of you to pray this month. And I'm just asking you, challenging you, this may be the hardest thing you've done all year to work on your list, not of the, it's easy to write out the ways we've been wounded, but to work on the list of ways that maybe God wants to do some reconstruction in the inner man or inner woman that you are. I'm going to do it. I'm committed to doing this. Will you do this with me? Jesus is going to heal us, and we get to be, as a result, more of the voice and good that our world just needs to see on our street and in our places of work. Okay, Anike, thank you for closing us in prayer. Father God, you are without equal. You are so good. Our world is not. Humans everywhere try to make sense out of anti-creation experiences like war, division, hunger, loneliness, and relational hurt. Jesus, I know what it is to feel hurt by people. You know what it is to feel hurt by people. As my church prays together this month, please work your love deep into me so that I may forgive those who've hurt me just as I need your forgiveness. Make me healthy as I replace ill will toward others with your good will. Jesus, may I walk in your confidence that you are repairing our world beginning with me. Thank you for loving me and for using me and my church to love others well. Amen.